0: Ron DeSantis, and Ron might be more fashion than Donald Trump, and just a little bit smarter.
1: It's not necessarily, oh, we're going to have a civil war soon, but I'm just saying, if you look at that statistic there, it just shows just because the civil war is, is over doesn't mean that animosity just goes away, or you automatically were like, yeah, we were wrong, hey, I'm so sorry, yeah, we were wrong. This is the Snapbook, where each week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla help you digest their favorite stories from the world of sports and politics. The, the history books have gotten away with a lot of the bad things that we've done a society because they were non-Christian nations. And just like the dreaded Snapbook, don't be surprised when we start bringing you over to the left side of the fairway.
0: Back in the good old days. You could have gotten a job doing just about anything if you sat there and said, "I have a college degree." But now that's not the case. So we're going to sit there, we're going to back on these kids. We're going to sit there and say you're going to owe, you know, thousands of dollars in debt. And in many cases, those will pay for maybe twenty or thirty thousand dollars they borrow. They might pay two or three hundred thousand dollars in their lifetime with all the competitive interest.
1: Now, here are your hackers of the week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla. Welcome back into the Snap Hook, our sports edition, our Thursday show. Hi, I am Tim Costello. He is Scott Barzilla, and we've got a special guest with us today the managing editor of Battle Red Blog, your Houston Texans fan site, the best place to get all the information on your Texans. Patrick Houghton. Patrick, how are we doing today? Oh, fine. How
2: about yourself?
1: Oh, doing wonderful. Doing wonderful. Appreciate you coming in and joining Scott and
0: I here.
2: Oh, no problem. Glad to be here.
0: Yeah, but actually, you know, Patrick is my boss, you know, on that site, so I guess you know, maybe he'll give an employee review before we uh before we get through tonight.
2: Yeah, so I would choose my words wisely here, Scott. Is all I'm going to say.
0: <laughs> Will do.
1: We'll be careful. We'll, uh, we'll, make sure, we'll make sure we keep Scott in a straight and narrow. Patrick, before we get into uh, some of the moves of the offseason, I know uh, Nick has been active here in the last week and a half or so. Kind of tell us a little bit about how you got into Battle Red. And, uh, you know, Scott and I obviously are familiar with it. For at least some of our fans that uh, have not been to the website yet or been to the blog yet, tell us a little bit about uh, what they can find.
2: Well, my story is just old and boring. i like some, Jesus, like, t- is it 10, 12 years, some, 12 years some ago? I entered, they were having a competition for a new writer because every so often they would just like churn through writers. And I was okay. I thought I would do it okay. I have like a little fan off, offshoot uh, column I do, it's a little parry thing. So I entered it and. Apparently they liked what they saw, and I've just been sticking around with them on off and on ever since. As for, jeez, I can't talk. Excuse me one second. As for you can expect from the blog, I would say the only thing is. We shoot for coverage of the Texans from a fan perspective first and foremost. Because at the end of it all, that's what we are, fans. So, and not often you get Texans coverage, especially nationally, if at all. You don't get much Texans coverage from a pro-Texans point of view. Or someone who actually pays attention to Texans for more than 10 seconds. We kind of fill in the gaps that they don't. Is that I put it?
0: And I suppose, I guess my favorite, uh, the favorite segment that we do, and I, and I don't know if it's going to be your favorite segment, is uh, during the season we do the hair of the dog, which is kind of like, you know, I always liken it to like a Mystery Science Theater 3000 kind of uh, look at the game where we throw things back and forth like, uh, over the last half of the season, I've been trying to get Bartesian to be a, uh, a corporate sponsor for the hair of the dog. Uh, yes, and, and and I would love that, you know, because you know we have one at home and we enjoy it. But uh, I guess looking at you know the the prism for this off season uh, up till now, what is the favorite thing that you think? Uh, that Nick Sirianni or the Texans as an organization has done, you know, since the end of the twenty-two season to this point.
2: Well, the fact that they've done anything at all is a step up from what we've seen over the last god since Bill O'Brien took over, I think, where the Texans would do minimal, if any, kind of upgrades of free agency, with one exception being he who should not who we call he who shall not be named, otherwise known as Brock Osweiler. But other than that, we just don't, this team has not historically done the huge free agency jumps. And while the class we got aren't, like, huge, huge signings, and don't get me started on the one and two year deals. But, um, I think, where was I going? I'm sorry, this happens to me all the time. I got mind like a steel colander. Overall, I think what they've done is pretty good.
1: To me, it, it seems like, you know, the Texans have really kind of focused on bringing in more quality players instead of going for the one or two big splashy names in free agency. You've You've kind of spread that money out and you've got guys who are just quality football players, you know, Singletary, the, the running back, is, is a guy to me that was uh, just a real smart, heady signing. Schultz from the Cowboys, again, uh, another good, smart signing. Um, to me, I'm wondering, I don't know if you have seen the same things, but is this more how Casario you think wants to operate? And it was maybe Easter Bay um, holding him back previously, in your opinion, based on, you know, the, the spending habits we're seeing as he's free from from Jack for the first time?
2: I think you can't draw any other conclusion but that, to be honest with, because it's like you said before that you had he had a completely different habit with free agency, which is kind of in line with what we saw with Bill O'Brien. But now that Easterbee's shadow is gone, he's it's. I don't want to say a brand new guy because he still gets those one or two year deals that I'm not thrilled with, but he's doing. More useful stuff, I guess is what I put it.
0: Yeah, I think uh, if I want to do one positive and one negative from my point of view, I think the uh, the positive is I think uh, the Dalton Schultz uh, signing was very surprising to me. I, I didn't think that we would be going there. Uh, I would, like you, would like it to have been a longer-term deal than one year, but, you know, I kind of get it. He he maybe thinks he's going to pull an Evan group. You know, and, you know, get like a huge payday if he has a huge year. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what a Bobby Sloak offense is going to look like, you know, at the end of the day. So I don't know, you know, if Dalton Jones is going to, you know, run off 70, 80 catches and 10 touchdowns. You know, maybe he does. I, I don't know. But, you know, the one thing that I think surprised me is that you saw a lot of these free agent centers going off the board for all of them about 6 million a year. And we didn't sign a one and that just kind of that that disappointed me I know we signed the backup center from Miami uh, just this week and you know I I guess that's something but you know to me like a poacher, or you know somebody like that if you could have put that next to Shaq Mason you know on the offensive line all of a sudden you're talking about four-fifths of a really good line and Kenyon Green who might turn into a really good player and that would be a really good offensive line and something any rookie quarterback would do well with, but they decided to put on that. So, I mean, I guess maybe the plan is to draft a center at some point, you know, maybe on day two, but I thought that was a blown opportunity for Casario.
2: Although they did just sign that center after all. They did just sign that center Dieter after all. So it's not like they completely left it unaddressed.
0: Yeah, but how many snaps did he play last year?
2: Well, none because he was a <laughs> backup last year.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess that's why that's what disappointed me was you had like three or four starters who were all going for about that six million a year. I mean, that seemed to be the price, and to me, that's not a price that's, that's too steep to pay for a starting quality center. Eh,
2: Maybe, but given that how much we've how bad our centers have been in the past. I'm not sure you could pay enough.
0: No, that's true. Um, so if if I, you know, just to kind of focus this conversation a little bit, which free agent do you think makes the biggest impact on the Texans in 2023?
2: I would have to say Shaq Mason because that that interior line is everything. If Depending on what Slovak wants to do with this offense, like you said, I don't know what, having a good offensive line, no matter what he does is going to be important. So it's good. He's probably easy investment, even though he got all these other, he basically renov- they've renovated the offense.
1: I I agree on Shaq, but just to, you know, uh, throw another name out there. I, I think it's going to be case. Uh, I think depending on, on where the Texans go in the draft at quarterback, there's a, there's a chance that, that Case Keenum is your starting quarterback at the beginning of the year. Uh, and even, even if he's not the starter with a, with a rookie, he's going to be unbelievably vital in that quarterback room on, on the practice field, and even on the sidelines on, on game day uh, and, and helping guide that young quarterback through his first ever season. Uh, I, I thought to me that we had just talked about our favorite backups and, and Case was there for me. I, I went to UH, so I'm always going to have a special place in my heart for Case Keenum, but I, I just, I just think the what the value that he brings from without even touching the football, when you have a, a rookie quarterback is going to be something that you can't measure in stats, but you're going to see it uh, as the career of whoever we end up going with uh, flourishes down the line. I guarantee you they're going to look back and say, you know, Case Keenan was a big part of, of getting me where I want to go in year one.
2: I get what you're saying, but I think if we're talking like statistically, I think, You'd have to, I'm not sure Keen would really count, because as much as I love him, and I'm a UH grad myself, so I understand the love for him, and share that love for you, Case, who is obviously listening, I still think it has to be the guy who's doing the pushing and shoving for the entire team. Well, for part of the team, anyway. And that would be Mason.
1: Yeah, I just want to put another name out there besides Mason as well. I think that's the that's the big one, but I do think um, you know you're just not going to see stats from Case unless he he starts the first four games or something like that before they make the switch. But I do think he's going to. Uh, it's like getting another offensive coordinator in that room.
0: I uh, I'm going to go a different name, now, although I do like Case Keenum, Uh I, I'm not a U of H graduate, but you know I like Case uh, just fine. Uh, To me, the biggest one I think is actually going to be ranking on the defense line because, you know, I've said this before in articles, uh, as Patrick knows, but, you know, I've said it here on the podcast. The Houston Texans did not surrender the most yards uh, rushing in the NFL last year. They, They surrendered the most yards since 1972. I was born in 1973. That is how bad this run defense was. And so to me, to get, you know, A guy like Rankin who is not at all pro defensive tackle, but, you know, he's solid. Uh, That's, I think, you know, if you just can elevate this run defense to mediocre, I think you've done a whole lot, you know, to change the trajectory of this team. And assuming, Scott, we go one of one of our first two first round picks
1: is is somewhere on the defensive line, you know, pairing that signing with a, a Jalen Carter at 12 if he falls or uh, if you decide to go you know Anderson at two theoretically that's a pretty stout looking defensive line
0: so you know I guess you know we we've I don't know that we've discussed Jalen Carter too much on the uh, on the, the website because I mean he just really hasn't been you know much of a target for the Texans but you know, where do you see him going, Patrick? Do you do you think he he goes somewhere in the top ten, or do you think he continues to tumble down that draft?
2: I think he's actually going to stay in the top ten. I think he might actually stay at top five, because from what I understand, and please correct me if I'm misunderstanding this, the uh, he's going to get probation and basically a slap on the wrist for whatever he did, and which is terrible. I'm not sure I would agree with that. But if that's the case, if I'm an NFL team and I have no morals because I'm an NFL team, I'm looking at that like, that's really not much of an impediment for me if this guy's as good as he's going to be. So I'm going to say he's probably still top five.
1: See, I think what's troubling with with Carter too is it's not only – it's that paired with the bad pro day. He came in nine pounds heavier than he did at the Combine. He didn't finish certain workouts. He didn't. He just didn't put a good effort out there. And you know, to me, that scares me. Just because this is—you've got two days. You really got to show out before the draft. It's the combine and your pro day, and then pretty much after that, it's team meetings and interviews. But to not show up for you know one of the two biggest interviews of your entire life, and to not prepare for that—it just his 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 way of treating this NFL draft process has has been. Eye-opening for me, you know, as a pundit or a small-time pundit sitting here wondering where the Texans are going to go, and and the way he's handled himself personally in this process is is certainly a little scary.
0: Yeah, I think. uh, I mean, I definitely agree with that. You know, it always kills me. It's like, and we saw this happen with Laramie Tunsel on his draft day. We saw this happen to Ward Sapp on his draft day. To me, it is just crazy. I mean, and, and this kind of shows you the discipline. I mean, a lot of guys, you know, they like. You know, they like their refreshment. They like their certain herbal refreshment, if we'll call it that. They know what the drug testing is. They know, you know, when when these things are going to happen. And to me, when you have a guy that fails a drug test or you have, you know, it's kind of like with a pro day, you know, if you can, you know, manage to keep yourself in shape long enough to sit there and go an hour or two, I mean, if you sat there and told any of us, Hey. You get into the best shape of your life, we'll give you a ten million dollars. You bet we're out there busting our tub so it'd be the best shape of our lives. And and I just don't understand, you know, the thought process of I'm just gonna, you know, gain ten pounds in two weeks and be too gassed to finish drills. I mean, it's just crazy to me.
2: Well, my theory is if you can get to that point once, or if you believe that you can get to that point once. You can obviously get to that point again once you get to ten million dollars. It's just a matter of get back to that point. So in that meantime, if I don't have to do exercises for everybody, or if I don't have to, if I don't have drills coming or anything like that, why not just have like a little bit of a break until we get back to you know after the draft when things actually start mattering again?
1: I mean, I, I definitely see that. I just you know I don't. I don't think a lot of NFL teams think like that i do think they look at at the attitude and and the um you know ability to, to get yourself ready to play and i think it's going to hurt him i don't know if he falls out of the top 10 i think you know a lot of the projections have have had him in that 10 11 12 range here lately but i've seen some other ones that still have him at seven and eight i think uh you know there's some there's some trades yet to be made i, I think lamar jackson where he ends up going is is, is going to play a little bit of a factor in that as well i've, I've seen some um, some scuttlebutt that, that the Colts are interested in in Lamar and, you know, they pick at four. So if they're, if, if now the bears have the, the four pick they have, uh, I'm sorry, the Ravens have the four pick, then, you know, maybe they look at that defensive spot, or maybe at that point, the Ravens are looking at, at AR 15 to replace, um, to replace, uh, Action Jackson uh, to place tomorrow Jackson, so I, I think these these trades and especially the Mar where he ends up is really going to have some some effect on on how the rest of this this draft process and that top ten plays out because if if the Ravens are there at four, I, I got to openly assume they're they're taking Richardson based on they've got everything in place for a mobile quarterback, just grab the next one and
0: run. Uh, I guess, you know, since you brought up Anthony Richardson, uh, I guess, you know, it went to, to kick the ball forward a little bit. So, uh, Patrick, what, what did you think about, you know, the combine with Anthony Richardson, you know, the broad jump, the, the vertical leap.
2: Oh, I I thought it was a pretty good uh, – I didn't actually get a chance to see the uh, combine myself, but I heard all that and I saw all the clips and everything. And – as impressive as Zal is, he's still raw. That's what worries me. Because otherwise, I'd be like, I, otherwise I'd be all in favor of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Taking a flyer on him at two. If he was as good as to advertise, and he had the background to prove it, like Bryce Young does. So, my, pro, my concern is that, um, he's just, there's there's so much talent there, but there's just not much record to pack it up. So I, I'm really intrigued by him, but I'm not intrigued enough to go past Bryce Young if he's available.
0: So, yeah, that's the question. For those of y'all that may have heard a little pause there, I, I was accidentally muted, but I was basically asking Patrick about uh, Anthony Richardson. We, we talked about the fact in an earlier episode how uh, he had – you know, the huge, you know, uh, record-breaking, you know, vertical leap and the uh, record-breaking broad jump, which I still have not seen any player do on a football field, uh, either one of those. Uh, but I guess, you know, if we if you're de- uh, debating between Bryce Young and, and C.J. Stroud, you know, I think most Houston fans want Bryce Young. Well, let's say Bryce Young's taken at number one. Are you comfortable with CJ Stroud moving forward, or would you like to see the Texans move in a different direction?
2: I'm. I would be. I wouldn't be thrilled with Stroud, but I would learn to live with it. Learn to live with disappointment, I guess you could say. Especially turns out to be good, then I can pretend I never thought anything was short at all, and was right all along, like everybody else was right all along. So I mean, I guess. Stroud would be a good silver medal, but that's about all I'd ever see him as. Unless he turned out to be, like, what everyone thinks he will be. But, again, see, I just – I prefer the sure thing.
1: I, I go the other way. I don't, I don't think I'd take Stroud there, Scott. I, the more I, I've thought about it, um, I, I think i load up on, on defense at 2-12. and 12, Maybe, you know, take a flyer later in the draft on somebody. Uh, and hope for the, an opportunity to go after Caleb Williams next year with all the capital that you have. But if you don't get Bryce Young, um, I, I'm as a fan, I'm okay trying to win with if with Keenum if you have to, because I just don't see that there's you've done too much good so far this offseason to um, bring a quarterback in who you're not 100 percent sure is the guy. And if and if everybody in that room tells me we had Stroud as number one all along, okay, that's fine. But if that's not the case, then I I don't want to take that pick there uh, on a guy that that I don't think is the guy. And, and speaking of which, you know I've I've seen a lot of, of stuff out there, and who knows it could be smoke at this time of year. But you know I've seen that the Panthers still aren't sure between Stroud and Bryce Young, and and, and to me that's I I don't get that. I to me it's it's, it's been a pretty clear hierarchy of, of where the quarterbacks are ranked and i don't understand why you trade up to number one if you weren't 100 percent sold
0: on on one of those guys i don't i don't believe those reports one minute uh, i think this is lying season and, and they're just they're trying to they may try to coax the texans into giving up a pick or two you know to move up that one slot to get somebody who they probably would have picked anyway um uh, the problem i have with the wait and see uh philosophy is is that You know, if you hit on those picks or if you don't hit on those picks, you've already upgraded your offense to the and your defense to the point where I think this is at worst a five or six win football team. And that's without addressing the quarterback position at all. And so the problem I have is, is that, yeah, you're going to have two first row picks. You're going to have an extra fourth. You're going to have all this extra draft equity, but what's going to happen is next year is that whoever finishes number one with the number one pick is probably going quarterback. They're probably a needy organization. They're going to pick Caleb Williams. I watched him live at the Cotton Bowl, and, and uh, yeah, I, after seeing him in you know just that one game live, he might be end up being a better quarterback than Bryce Young or CJ Stroud. Uh, he might end up being better than, you know, than any of these guys. But the problem is, is that you're basically basing everything on a hope. You're basically, I hope that we're not too far down. I hope that a team, you know, that wins number one overall pick doesn't want quarterback. I hope we could move up. That just doesn't happen every year. I mean, when Jacksonville is, you know, had the worst record in football, I think you could have traded the, your entire draft and next year's draft. And they still have said, nope, we're good. We're taking John. We're taking Trevor Lords. We're good. And the Jets, you know, they found themselves in the same position we are in right now, where they won a game at the end of the year in stupid fashion. And they ended up with the Mormon Mahomes, who might be out of football as, as, you know, as soon as this year. So, I mean, that's where you end up. And that's why, you know, Patrick, I don't know if you listened to last week's show, but Nick Casario was my... Sports scub bag of the week. Yeah, you know, Ford not doing what it needed uh, to do to secure that double-edged overall pick. Are
1: we, are we settling in on the Mormon Mahomes as the nickname? Because I kind of liked MILF Hunter for his uh, ability to attract the old, older ladies.
2: Oh, God.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I got nothing. Uh, I can't beat that.
0: So, what, what do you think, Patrick? Are, are you. Uh, so you definitely committed to taking a quarterback at number two, you know, even if uh, Young is off the board, or uh, do you like the the, you know, the sit and wait for Caleb Williams? You know what what what's your flavor there?
2: I like enough of the guys, other than Bryce, to make to take the risk. So Stroud, maybe Richardson at that point, then we could talk, but that would be it. I don't I don't want if we're gonna re we're starting to rebuild back up, let's build back up properly with the guy who's been in the system for a couple of years and had a chance to grow with the rest of the team. So I figure get the guy now, if you like him, and plug him in and let's see where he goes from there. If not, you got Keenum who's gonna be perfectly good at taking a beating week after week.
0: Yeah, I don't know that I I don't know that any of our you know Texas fans want to see any more of Davis Mills. The quarterback, um, I his think, time uh, should
2: be over as a starter for the Houston Texans. If not now, I f- then I,
1: I yeah. feel like the moment you signed Keenum, that was that was the end of Davis Mills. I maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like the moment Case Keenum got on that roster, that was that was the nail in the coffin for Davis Mills.
2: It has to be. I swear, it has to be.
0: It's uh, uh, moving on to that. So let's say you know we pick Young or, and or Stroud at the number two pick. Uh, just whoever Carolina doesn't pick. Now you're moving down to twelve, and so you know, seeing what they've done in free agency, you know they've added you know plenty of pieces on both sides of the ball. Um, are you going edge rusher there? Or are you going wide receiver there? Are you going linebacker? You know what, what direction do you think you're going uh, if it were you at number twelve?
2: Speaking for myself, I would <clears throat> excuse me. I would like them to actually work on the offense a little bit. I know it's not Domico's uh, specialty, but he's going to have Harris. He's going to have Kersey. He's going to be working with you. He's going to be doing what he loves. He's going to be coaching up guys. The offensive, on the other hand, we don't know what Slovak does. We haven't. We have an idea of what he can do, but we've never actually seen him coach as an as an offensive coordinator. So I would like to give him as many pieces as possible to make sure he succeeds. And that includes a true number one receiver. Because we don't, I'm not, I love Collins, but not as a number one. So if we can get a number one to compliment him, I feel so much better about it.
0: And that, you know, that kind of flows into, uh, and I love this nickname, 97.5. Has called him Bobby Trees. Uh, so, uh, how do you feel about Robert Woods? That was, you know, one of the early signings at free agency.
2: I think he's better than what we had, it's so clearly he's an improvement. I think he'd be a good number three, at the very least. <clears throat> but I think I do think that's—he's not going to fix our problems on wide receiver because again, we need a true number one. But Woods is a pretty good addition to anybody, especially to what we had from before.
1: Yeah, I think he's a nice he's a nice veteran to add to the room. I think he's going to help some of those younger guys. And hopefully, I'm of I'm the opinion, Scott, I, I'd like a receiver at 12, and I'd like to go back and get another one at 33. You know, I, I have a, a pretty strong feeling that, that Tank Dell uh, is going to be there at 33. And I I think he's a guy who... Um, can kind of serve what that Will Fuller role was. You still have no one on this on this offense uh, that can take the top off a of defense. You know, their speed, true speed, kills defenses. And you've got to, you've got to shade safeties over that side of the field when you've got a burner. Um, and and the big difference between Tank Dell and, and Will Fuller is, is Tank's going kind to of come down with that football. Where Will Fuller, for quite a while, you never knew if he was going to make that play or not. Um, you know, I, I, I even think. Who knows what Brock Osweiler's career looks like if, if Will Fuller doesn't drop a touchdown catch in that Patriots game because uh, it's a whole different story at that point, and, and maybe Brock doesn't get run out of town after a year. You never know. But I think Tank Dell at 33 is going to be there. I think he's a great pick. I think at 12, if you can get a number one wide receiver, go for it. If if you're reaching, I don't want to see a reach. You know, If, if Jalen Carter falls to 12, I think you run to the podium and you get him. Otherwise, um, you know, there's some good there's some good talent out there. Wide receiver in the first round, you've got the kid from USC, you've got the kid from Ohio State, and the uh, the guy from TCU. Uh, either one of them at, at twelve would be a pretty dang good pick. And then you can come back at Tank Tank Dell at um, at, at thirty
0: three, and then from there you're pretty set at, at weapons offensively. Yeah, I like Quentin Johnston, uh, the TCU receiver but he is raw. I mean, I am a TCU alum, I'm a TCU fan. I I watched probably all their games that was televised. And, you know, I saw him make some plays. I went and watched the Oklahoma game live. He's six foot four. Big, fast. He's just one of those guys that I think is going to, you know, probably be really good his second year in the league. And not necessarily the first year. I mean, to me, uh, a Jackson Smith, the even though he's small, uh, He's going to come in, I think, into the league, and and he's one of those guys that, yeah, looking at a forty time is really not probably he hasn't had a forty time yet, but looking at the forty time is probably not what you want to look at. You know, to me, looking at the code drills that he did, he was the fastest guy uh, in the combine, Uh, and and he has you know a level of production. The only thing that makes me nervous about him is that he might have a little bit of that Derek Stingley disease, where you know he missed his last season Uh, nursing an injury, you know, was he healthy enough to come back and just decided "Eh, I'm going to be drafted in the first round. Who knows? But yeah, uh, the Hyatt uh, kid out of Tennessee might be a guy that, you know, you look at at number 33, too, if he falls to that point. Uh, Plus, I mean, I think even though you got Singletary getting a third running back, you know, because you only got Singletary for a year. So, you know, getting another running back, you know, who could, and then you could completely, you could say goodbye to Rex Burkett, you know, give him a parade, you know, give him a, a, a gold watch, whatever you need to do. But you know, we just need to send that guy out of town as far away from here as possible.
2: Amen to that. And all I'm going to say is if Jalen Carter is there at 12, I if I'm the guy running in the car to Goodell, I'm doing backflips on the way there for him. Because, holy moly, that would be – the deal of the draft.
0: Uh, so, you know, we we also saw, you know, the big moves um, over the weekend. Uh, we saw the Laramie Tunsil extension uh, for three years and $75 million. And we also saw Brandon Cooks finally traded. Uh, so, you know, somebody who's more plugged into the Texans, I think than most people, you know, how much stock are you putting into those rumors that they had an offer of you know, a second or third rounder from Dallas and for some reason didn't close out that deal during the season. I mean, are you buying into those rumors or do you think they, they pretty much got as much as they could possibly get for for cooks?
2: Honestly, I'm not sure I believe anything from any kind of rumors this time of year. Like you say, it's lying season. It doesn't just pertain to, you know, draft stuff, it pertains to, you know, trade stuff too. You're still trying to get the better deal. And if they could get a second or third before and they knew he didn't want to be there, why would they not do it then? It didn't make it doesn't make much sense. Unless you thought you'd get more from him if he played for on this team this season, I think you would just get what you could from him at that time. But it simply doesn't make sense. That's why I think making the trade now is you know, as good as it was ever going to get.
1: I, I think it's interesting too that Tunsell, uh negotiated both of his last extensions without an agent. Um, you know, not something you see every every now and then. And and what's what's fascinating to me is he he reset the market at his position both times that he did it. I think when we as Texans fans look back on on players not using an agent or using a family member, everybody thinks about. Andre Johnson and his uncle uh, and the and the, the bad deal that they worked out where Tunsil has shown, you know, you can, you can take care of yourself. You don't have to pay that percentage to somebody else. And um, I, I think the three-year deals that he's done were smart because he he puts himself in a position to not be cut. I think a lot of those guys who signed the long-term big money contracts, they end up being cap casualties down the road where Tunsil with these three year deals has more set himself up for extensions rather than uh, to be cut or to have contracts
0: restructured.
2: He's one of the few guys who actually gets more than one or two years on their contract.
0: Yeah, uh, I like that deal too. And the thing was, is that it works out well for everybody. I mean, he's the highest paid tackle. So he gets to, you know, he gets bragging rights on that level. Uh, I mean, he gets, you know, the security of 50 to $60 million guaranteed. I mean, uh, obviously, I don't think he was hurting for money, but, you know, that's a good thing. And the Texans got to lower their uh, their cap, you know, by about, for him, I guess, you know, roughly $10 million was what they cut from their cap total. And, and that's immediately parlays into Dalton Schultz. I mean, the very next day, I mean, there's, I don't think there's any coincidence uh, to the fact that, you know, both those things happened in succession. I guess with Cooks, you know, the thing is, and I've been watching, you know, some, local bloggers and local uh, uh podcasters and uh, listening to them and one of them was later he her here and he you know kind of laid out the whole thing of you know okay maybe you didn't get the offer that you wanted but why is brandon cooks playing in that last game he shouldn't have played you know for the rest of the year they should have sat him down uh, and if he's not playing in that last game you're probably not beating the colts and if you know you're not beating the colts you know you're you're not sitting here wondering who's Carolina's going to take. You're controlling the whole board. You're deciding which quarterbacks the best would. You're taking that guy. Or if you wanted to go the Bears route, I mean, the haul that the Bears got, you know, from Carolina is huge. I mean, uh, it's just crazy, you know, the amount of uh, capital. And I think if you want to look at the early winter of the 2023 draft, it's the Bears and not a single player has been taken. Uh, just from what they were able to, to parlay that number one pick into. And if anybody, you know, thinks that there's no difference between number one and number two, number two's not going to get anywhere near that. Number three's not going to get anywhere near that because you can't guarantee uh, what, you know, what's going to happen.
1: Let's kind of shift the conversation over a little bit to some NCAA tournament talk. I, Patrick, you mentioned you're a fellow Coug and they put us through a, uh, a tough first game, tough first half of Auburn. It looked like things could be, you know, headed to a a pretty rough spot with, with Sass already on the bench with four fouls. Then Shedd gets four fouls. And my, oh my, Trayvon Mark uh, put the entire team, the entire city of Houston on his back. Dickinson's finest, Came through with, with the game of his life. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that game before we kind of move on to the, the tournament as a whole, but what a performance by the University of Houston Cougars defense, especially in and Traymon Mark there against Auburn on Sunday on Saturday.
2: It was a thing of beauty. I mean, that's what the Cougars were built to do, that kind of thing. In fact, David saw later that June 9th, said that's the most perfect half of Cougar football, Cougar basketball he had ever seen. It's like and it was just beyond frigging words. I can't even talk about it without, you know, swearing my mouth off. <laughs> because it was just that beautiful, you know?
0: I think, you know, and unfortunately, my Horde Frogs did not fare quite as well. Uh, they did beat Arizona State in the opener, but, you know, they went up against a superior uh, Gonzaga team. I had side. them beaten Zaga too, Scott. They,
1: uh... That hurt my bracket a little bit. I, I took a roll of the dice on TCU and they
0: burned me. Well, and what, what killed them was there was some controversy before the uh, the conference tournament where their center left the team, uh, accused uh, Jamie Dixon, who's the, the head coach of uh, some racially insensitive comments. They would not, he and his mother, you know, went to Instagram and they put him on blast, but they never really quite said, you know, what was said that, you know, made that. And, and he, you know, he averaged about five points six or seven boards a game. But, you know, he had a huge game in the uh, in the opener last year. He, he scored 20 points and seven rebounds in the NCAA tournament. But here's something, and I know this. It's been years since TCU has made it to back-to-back tournaments, period. The last one uh, game that they won in the tournament before was actually Jamie Dixon when he was a player for the Horde Frogs. And I don't think they've had two consecutive years where they've won a tournament game in my lifetime. So, I mean, that's, uh, you know, we're happy to see the program grow. But obviously as a a Houston, uh, I'm sort of an alumni. I'm alumni of University Houston at Clear Lake. So I guess, you know, if you want to consider a satellite school as as a member of the family, you could call me uh, maybe Cougar Adjacent. Uh, but, you know, I am I, obviously rooting for the hometown team and, and you know, because I still remember Phi, Slamma, Jamba. Uh and, and this is, you know, these last couple of years have been the best Cougars basketball since Faisalama Jamma, which, you know, has been a hot minute. I
1: was just saying, when we look at, a ter- at the tournament as a whole, um, really been an interesting first couple of days and, you Scott, we talked before about you know what the one and done has 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 done to college basketball, and now we've seen some of these smaller schools that keep their their players around for four years. You know, every year, every every year, it seems like one of these schools is making a run, um, and, and this year is no different, right? We've got FAU uh, into the Sweet Sixteen. Uh, we had a you know a sixteen seed upset a one this year. It, it's been a crazy first round of the tournament. You know, where do you I guess rank this opening weekend as, as far as your recent memory of, of games for for you
0: guys, Scott and Patrick. Well, uh, you, you're forgetting the nerds. Princeton. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, oh, that, that, yeah. Uh 15 Fifteen two, yeah. And then, of course, getting into the Sweet Sixteen themselves, you know. And in fact, the second round one—I mean, that was a blowout. I mean, that was not a you know a fluke event. Uh, although you know the first round may have been, but yeah. Anytime you see a 16 beat a one, that's just crazy. And, and that's what makes the NCAA tournament so great. And you've heard, we've heard rumors for years about them maybe expanding to 128, which, you know, seems nuts. You know, it's only one additional game, right? But, you know, the whole point, I think, is, is there's a sweet spot there. And I think 64 was it. I think 68 might be a little bit too much. But, you know, it makes the conference schedule... You know, very important. It makes the conference tournaments really important. And there's nothing better than seeing you know, a, a seven or eight seed in a conference tournament run the table, win their conference championship, and, and get a, you know, a ticket to the dance. I mean, there's nothing better, you know, than, than some of those. And then, you know, of course, seeing some of these teams, you know, continue it on. I mean, Princeton, they have no no rights to, to be where they are. I mean, talent. I mean, they were you know completely outclassed talent wise. But like you said, when you're taking on teams that have you know a lot of one and duds, you know that continuity that you have in their program of guys who've been there three and four, and in some cases five years. That just you know there's there's a, a synergy there that you can't really calculate, but you know it really comes together at a time at a time of year like this.
2: Honestly, the only thing I would say is. I was not fortunate enough to really remember a 5 slamma slam, era, because I was like maybe 1 at the time. I was 1 in the 83 game, and I don't want to talk about that at all because I've seen enough of that on TV. But, without a doubt, this is the best time I've ever had being a Cougar alum. Just ever. Because my team is rocking in the final in March Madness. My football team is finally in in a semi area of respect with a twelve depending on your view of respect, pardon my pardon me, Scott, and I know TCU alum and all. But it feels like things are finally looking right for being University of Houston fans. And we've been patient for a real long damn time.
1: And, and you know what I find interesting too is the, the reason uh basketball turned around it's it's one thousand percent Calvin Sampson you can't you can't say anything absolutely right There's, but let's look at some of those other programs it's it's interesting to me that they don't settle in on their guy right you know you you have up every year the NCAA tournament a uh, fourteen or fifteen seed goes on a run and then their coach gets hired away. What the difference to me is, is UH has been able to hold on to their coach. You know, it, it, you look at someone like Iona, right? You, you brought in Rick Pitino to, to kind of build up that program. You gave him an opportunity coming off a little bit of scandal. And then the moment he builds Iona up, what's he do? He leaves again to go to now at St. John's. Kelvin Sampson probably could have had the UT job two years ago if he really wanted it. I, 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 there's no doubt in my mind if Kelvin said, I want to be the coach of UT, they go with him over Beard, or they go with him over Shaka, either one of them. And, and I bet they wish they could have. But because he said, I'm not going anywhere else, I'm going to build a program, uh, it's allowed the Cougars to, to rise to relevancy. And it's it's disappointing to me that some of these other coaches don't see the same benefit, or, or maybe it's also some of the universities aren't willing to invest the way that the University of Houston did. We're we're lucky enough that, that Tillman Fertitta came in and, and said, we're going to build out um, the basketball center. We're going to give you training facilities. We're going to do what we can to support your team and, and let you grow this thing. I, I'd like to see some of these other schools do that because you're right. This has been my most exciting time as a as a Cougar fan. I when I was on campus, we had John O'Kornet at, at quarterback, and I was there for the um, I can't remember the can't remember the coach's name. He runs a Chick fil A franchise in oh. Sugarland now.
2: Oh, yeah, I know uh, what you're talking about. Like God,
1: uh, either uh, Tony Le, Tony Levine. That's was, was the yes. coach for yes. Yeah. I mean the guy's not even coaching anymore. And so, you know, there's been some low times and and to be able to say we were there the whole time, uh, and our and our guy built this program, it would be nice for other schools to uh to be able to have that. But it just seems this there's so much money at play and there's only so many elite spots that these coaches jump so quick, uh these
0: programs don't really get a chance to be built up the right way. Uh, and, the, and TCU's kind of had the same thing happen with them. I mean, particularly in basketball, I mean, Jamie Dixon was at Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh was a higher profile program than TCU's was. I mean, TCU, I mean, I mean before Jamie Dixon got there, if we got into the NIT, I mean, we were doing cartwheels. Um, and then what does he do? Like his first year out of the gate, he wins the NIT. And, you know, he's probably had the opportunity to go other places and he stayed put and, and, you know, it's building a program. And and it's kind of the same thing. And I think, you know, with the, the football program at U of H, you had a guy, you know, who was the head coach at West Virginia, which is a big 12 school. And he says, I'm leaving this program and I'm going back to U of H where I came from. And, you know, of course, now U of H is going into the big 12, but that wasn't a foregone conclusion. You know when he left West Virginia, and went there, and that's where you know when your athletic department when you can actually attract guys that says, I want to go to the school, and maybe I'm, do, I'm making a lateral move to go to the school, or I'm going down a peg to go to the school. I mean, that's when great things start to happen, because that's not when you're you know you're not you're not Iowa stepping up to St. John's, or you're not you know I you uh, what I lovely call Ooh La La University of Louisiana at Lafayette you know, leapfrogging there to go to Florida, you know, or whatever the case would be. If I'm, you know, if I'm coming down, I mean, that's, you, know, you get that long term stability because you have a guy that literally, this is where he wants to be.
2: Yeah. That was like the first sign of like, wow, this, this is like almost legitimacy of a weird sort, not like official. You're coming up. You're, you're officially, you know, part of the big fuck. The Big Five, or the whatever they're going to call it now. Now it seems like the Pac-12 is going to upload any minute, but whatever the state is going to call now, we're part of it at least. That was like just the first sign that things were not going to be just like it usually is. Where it's like, thanks for coming. Sorry, we're not, we're not going to be staying here for very long because you're just, you're just a stepping stone. Like you were saying. I just wish I wish you could always feel like this I guess what I'm saying
1: so real quick just to wrap up a little tournament talk is is everybody here still on the uh, are we all on the UH winning it all bandwagon or is there a, for Patrick and I not a bandwagon Scott will allow you to hop on but uh, does anybody else have any other? Picks? Or is it? Is everybody here on the UH, UH train?
2: I actually have a fifty dollars bet standing from when I went to Las Vegas, is it two weeks ago? Yeah, two weeks ago when I picked the Cougars to win it all. So basically, yeah, I have, I am in it to win it, baby.
0: Um, I'm gonna t- I'm gonna go with the analogy that uh, I know Patrick's gonna get um. Uh, because we talked about this on the hair of the dog and other things, uh, both of our wives are Saints fans. So therefore, I am Saints fan adjacent. Uh, the Saints, whenever they're not involved with the Texans, I'm rooting for the Saints. Uh, and so I consider U of H you know, on the same level. You know, the, uh, they never played the Horde Frogs, at least this year. You know, we were not even in the same region. so. I'm rooting for U of H, you know, as long as, you know, the horned frogs are not, uh, not involved. I don't know that they run the table though. I mean, uh, it's just the, the thing is, is that there's so many things, uh, that, you know, that can happen. I mean, guys, you mentioned guys getting hot in the first two games, guys can get cold. Somebody on the Euro team gets hot. It's just winning an NCAA tournament is just so very hard. I mean, the fact that you know we mentioned that 83 team that has both Akeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler, and all those other guys. But to me, Olajuwon and Drexler, two you know basketball Hall of Famers, at the height of their game, and they find a way to lose. I mean, it just shows you that there there are no sure things in the end of it. You never know what's going to happen. But looking at you know
1: what games UH has left, they have a five seed in in Miami left. And then they'll play the winner of the Xavier-Texas game. Uh, and then after that, they'll play the winner of uh, Arkansas-Connecticut's winner, taking on Gonzaga-UCLA. So um, they wouldn't have to face another number one seed until Alabama in the final game. So that is a little bit of a benefit for the Cougars. But I, I think almost any of the year, Texas could have been a number one seed. They they can flat out ball. Uh, the Elite Eight game, potentially against Texas, is going to be one that um, that's, I think that's going to be one of UH's biggest defensive challenges that they've ever had. Uh, you know, the first year they got to the final four with Samson, where they just, they're kind of outclassed by Baylor. They couldn't lock those guys down. Uh, and then they've recruited their butts off since then. So I think this, if we get to play Texas, uh, I think that's going to be a big opportunity for Kelvin to kind of show off, you know, what his system could do against the best of the best with. Uh, elite recruits because early on UH didn't quite have those guys you know now you've got Cheris Walker who is you know a consensus number one at his position uh, choosing UH and so this will be a big big game um, coming up in the Elite Eight potentially for for the Cougars um, and, and getting past UT would be uh, not only big for the school big for the Costello family as, as I went to UH and my brother went to UT so having those bragging rights would just be absolutely fantastic for the next year. <laughs> but let's uh, let's shift it, Scott. I know this is something you and I have talked about. Real quick, you know, Japan uh, just took care of business, won the WBC. But uh, before that happened, um, you know, us as Astros fans, we got some pretty bad news when Altuve was uh, hit in the hand, broke his thumb on a pitch from Daniel Bard. And, you know, I know you and I have talked about the WBC and I know it's going to be in, in your segment later, but let's, you know, put the animosity, whatever, aside. Let's talk about what the Astros do now, you know, because now it's, it's David Hensley's time. He's going to have a chance to shine. Um, you know, are, are you someone who believes the Astros can tread water until Adube gets back or do you think they need to make a move?
0: Personally, I think they could tread water. But I think the bookie that's going to be in that rich is going to be Dusty Baker because what Dusty Baker is going to do, I guarantee you, is that he's going to play a heavy dose of Mauricio Dubon at second base, uh, and that's just—it's crazy. Um, I don't know why, uh, why he would do that, but you know, Dusty does what Dusty does. I think personally, if he plays a heavy dose of David H- uh, David Hinsley, he, I think we'll get by. I think David Hinsley is a good yucky looking young player and, you know, could possibly uh, earn himself a slot, you know, through the first six weeks of the season. Uh, I know, Patrick, you're a Astros fan. And, uh, I mean, you may not follow them as close as we do, but uh, what were your thoughts when you heard that Jose Altuve came down with that broken thumb?
2: Well, I was grateful when I heard that it wouldn't be like he was going to be gone the entire summer. Sounds like it's. A- Got kind of lucky in that respect. It's only going to be only a few weeks, I guess. I didn't particularly get specifics. But, on the other hand, that's going to be huge, that's going to be a big loss. That's I'm not saying that's not going to be a big deal. But, we did get Jose Abreu. We do have a guy that we got an improvement over the guy who was there, much as I love Yuli Jose Abreu is definitely an improvement. We got a guy who's improving his position. It, it doesn't even out, but it's enough for us. I think we can manage to tread water for a little bit until Altuve can come back. So I don't... And against this division, and God, God help me get some Mariners this year. I think being able to tread water in the first part of the season will be enough once they can get back to... Um, once they can finally get back to what they do, which is kick ass with a full team, including Altuve.
0: Yeah, I think that the problem is going to be the compound. You know, if if Jordan misses any time, which we've heard today that he's going to play tomorrow in his first spring game. Uh, or I guess Thursday we're record, uh, You know, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, Thursday is when he's going to open up spring play. Brantley will miss some time but hopefully not too much time. But if you have all three of those bats out of your lineup, that's when things you start to feel things. I think this team was built to where you could withstand missing one or two guys here and there, but it's when you start missing three, four, five guys, but that's, but that's, you know, and, and we're going to get to the whole, you know, world baseball classic thing a little bit later on and, and, and all this about injuries. But the thing is, that's, that's what sports is all about is that, the best late plans sometimes just won't don't work out. That's why, you know, when you win a World Series, as the Astros did last year, as a fan, you have to cherish that moment because there's nothing that guarantees that that's going to happen again. Uh, we were pretty lucky last year. You know, we, we lost Lace McCullers for the uh, most of the season. But, you know, our rotation as a whole, I think, was the healthiest in baseball by a wide margin. Uh, we, we had fewer games lost to injury in that rotation than you know, any other team in baseball. The bullpen was terrific throughout the season. I mean, you, you had very few injuries there. And so you got lucky. You got a, you had a really hot bullpen during the playoffs in October. I mean, that was the best single performance by a bullpen in baseball history. Things like that don't repeat very often. And so, you know, you can play it as well as you can, but, You can't play it for, you know, things like this to happen. I think you're absolutely
1: right, Scott, about cherishing those winning moments because I don't think it's every year that the best team in baseball wins the World Series. I think you and I would would both agree with that. Last year, I think you could very easily say the Astros were the best team in the league and they won the World Series. 2019, to me, the Astros were the best team in the league, one of the best teams in the history of the game of baseball, and they don't win that World Series. So much has to go right for you uh, to win, to win it all. And, you know, the Astros have shown as a dynasty, you can do everything right. You can get to six straight ALCSs, and you can still only walk away with two World Series based on uh, a ball hitting a foul pole here or there. Uh, you know, whatever happened in that Brave series, I still, I still don't understand what happened in 2021, but, you know, it's not going to happen. It's not going to fall your way every single year. So I think we are fortunate that this injury happened now as opposed to if Altuve got hit in the hand in June, because then we'd be in a much different scenario. You know, having Altuve healthy down the stretch is much more important, I think, than having him at the beginning of the season. So I I do think we're fortunate in that opportunity. I I think someone's going to have a chance to step up as a leadoff hitter. Um, We'll see who that is. I think this is going to be a big test for Dusty to see how he fills in that leadoff spot. Uh, especially if if Brantley's not healthy to start the season, because I think he's probably um, the best candidate as far as guys on the roster right now. Um, Without Brantley, I think, you know, maybe you look at Pena, you look at Tucker. Uh, I've seen Bregman's name floated out there as well for his high on base percentage, but you're going to have to get creative for a few months. Um, And I think we're, I, I don't know if now I'm as happy about bringing Dusty back now that he has to get creative with some of these lineups, um, you know that's kind of not his strong point.
0: Yeah, we, uh, and, and one of the things that he is, you know, what to do. This is what that just kind of kills me is that. So, Jose Altuve, let's say, you know, last year he's out for a game. Whoever plays second base, it's leadoff. And it's like, what? What are you doing? You know, you could rearrange this thing. You don't have to do it. You know, it the second baseman doesn't have to be leadoff. If it's Jose Altuve, sure, but, you know, if it's Mauricio Dubon, you know, let's put him maybe a little bit like eighth or ninth in the order. You don't have to bat him lead off, but, you know, that's that's Dusty's you know, kind of way of thinking.
1: We'll see. We'll see what happens, Scott. We're, uh, I don't know, less than, less than two weeks away here from opening. we like eight days away from opening day from the Astros accepting their rings and um, starting the 2023 campaign, but we're not – eight days away from Scott releasing his sports scumbag. That's just a mere eight seconds away. Scott, who do you have as your sports scumbag
0: of the week this week? This pains me. You have no idea how much this pains me. I grew up watching Keith Overbitt on ESPN. Uh, way downtown. Bang! Uh, the, the funniest single moment on ESPN is when uh, they were playing the, uh, uh, somebody was playing the Spurs. And he had Antoine Carr uh, in his jersey. Somehow the two R's fell off his jersey. And so you have Keith Oberman there on ESPN. Antoine Carr! (laughs) It's just the, the craziest thing. You know, he went on to MSNBC, obviously. You know, he's been floating around the internet. You know, I like Keith. You know, his brand of politics, you know, I tend to agree more often than not with. But... He came out with a tweet. He said, you know, cancel the WBC before it kills again. Kills again. And he's, you know, he's talking about Edwin Diaz going down for the year with a, you know, torn Patel attendant. That's a rough spot for the Mets. I mean, how do you find a closer in, you know, eight days? I don't know. But, you know, and and then obviously you had Altuve, and and so the thing is, is that Altuve can be hit by a pitch at any point. Any of these guys do. And and that's kind of my point of cherishing, you know, the championship for the Astros last year is any bad thing can happen at any moment. We we saw Jeff Bagwell, you know, growing up, at least I did, get his hand broken three years in a row. The same damn bone. Three years in a row. Finally, he wore like this big, huge cushion on it, you know, and, and but these things happen. Uh, maybe, you know, the Mets pitch a perfect game in April. Maybe, you know, Edwin Diaz is celebrating then, and maybe he tears his patella to then. Who knows? But to me, we, uh, and Patrick, I don't know if you got a chance to listen to our episode last week, but we, we had a couple of guests on who were talking about the World Baseball Classic. Uh, from an Australian point of view and from a Chinese point of view, Australia gets into the, the field of eight with mainly homegrown guys. That is huge for Australia. And it is, you know, and Italy got into the group of eight, you know, somehow. Uh, I told the story how my cousin pitched for Team Italy. I, I think it was eight years ago uh, at this point. Maybe maybe it was 12 years ago. Uh, but if you look at the NBA today, because we talked about the dream team, you look at the NBA today, I would say, you uh, the uh, Jo Jojic, who's you know might be winning his third consecutive MVP, he's a European player. Is he gonna? Is he developed into a star? If the European you know, nations aren't you know spurred on to develop their teams to win the Olympics, probably not. Uh, you look at the guy you know from Dallas, one of the best ten players in the NBA. Is he is he developed? If you know those countries aren't developing their talent, probably not. Uh, we got Victor, you know, coming in the draft next year. Has he developed, you know, if these teams aren't trying to compete in the Olympics? So, you know, we can look at the WBC WC- from an American prism, but we can also look at it from the fact of, you know, we're developing future talent. Some of those Australian kids, you know, Liam Hendricks, pretty darn good closer before he came down with cancer, which, by the way, is another fluke thing that you can't predict, but that's, you know, kind of put a wrench into the White Sox season. But if you could develop five or six more Liam Hendricks, you know, how much does that grow the game? How much does it grow the game to sit there and have Shohei Otani come over, to have Ichiro come over? You know, what happens if we have, you know, if the effort that, you know, uh, Tim uh, was talking about in the American Association with China coming over, what happens if you could find three or four stars from that China team? It just grows the game that much more. And just one fact that I want to leave everybody with before I uh, let y'all go with your scumbags. Uh, as of last this you know, last week, Bryce Harper's game-winning home run at the NLCS was downloaded onto YouTube 2.5 million times. Trey Turner's Grand Slam in the World Baseball Classic, 3.5 million times. And that's just in the span of less than a week. So you're going to tell me there's no interest in the World Baseball Classic? You're going to tell me we need to kill it before it kills again? Sorry, Keith, I can't back you up on this one.
2: I think I would – the thing I would – I have thought you we were talking about –
1: Well, Scott, I was I was kind of on the same page with you there. Um, I mean, I agree. There's a guy from Barstool, goes by KFC, who had some pretty bad takes um, on the WBC as well. Very similar on the lines, just a lot more offensive <laughs> with how he uh, put it out there. But I'm going to go a different direction, and my my sports scumbag of the week is a lot less harmful, but he's just an idiot. And it's someone on on Twitter. They go by the name Live Golf Nation. And this person's Twitter handle, it says right on there, not affiliated with the Live Tour at all. So this guy is just such a big fan of the Live Tour that he spends his days tweeting just absolute nonsense. Let me read you this one. The PGA Tour is AAA and the Live Tour is the big leagues. There's nothing wrong with being a feeder tour. The PGA Tour should be proud of what they built. Greg Norman and Liv should be prouder. He had one that came out the other day saying that this is a, a JV field playing in the WGC match play this week. A JV field and that um, Patrick Reed or Pat Perez could easily win. Let me just give you a few names that are playing in the match play this week. Scotty Scheffler, Tom Kim, John Rahm, Billy Horschel, Roy McElroy. Patrick Cantlay, Max Homa, Hideki Matsuyama, Kevin Kisner, who is an underrated match play player, Xander Shoffley, Tom Hoagie, Willie Willie Zalatoris, Victor Hovland, and Siwoo Kim. And that's not everybody. But to me, Scott, that is not a JV field. That is a stacked field when you've got Rory, you've got Patrick, you've got Homa, you've got Xander, you've got Zalatoris, you've got Horschel, you've got Rom, you've got Scotty all playing in the same tournament in a match play scenario, I just I don't understand how this person can honestly sit in front of a computer and and type this stuff out and, and be dead serious because he's not sarcastic. This isn't a parody page. This guy legitimately has a hard-on for live golf in a way that I, I didn't think was possible because I love the game of golf. I watch more golf than a majority of people do. I can't watch live. I've tried. It is god- awful it is it is it's just weird watching pros hit shots and shorts first of all but second of all the, the content is terrible you've got maybe five good golfers and i'm supposed to believe pat perez is competing again like no the guy was a barely making cuts for five straight years on the pga tour and i'm just supposed to believe he found his game again playing against lesser competition it's it's ridiculous, the Live Tour is actually falling apart. They're, they're not paying people the way they're supposed to be paying. They're cutting benefits. They're cutting everything left and right. They're cutting team travel. Um, it's it's a shame because I like the format. I, I think Team Golf has, has a place in this world. Um, it's, it's just a shame that, that this guy out there, uh, again, goes by the Twitter handle of uh, Live Golf Nation. My scumbag of the week, just for for just absolute asinine
0: opinions. It sounds like to be that he is the John Boy of golf. Oh,
1: God. it's worse! Oh. It's worse. Ew. You know, I'm Ew. surprised none of us have brought John Boy up yet, Scott. On our on our sports scumbag, he's he's someone I do not like.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think I his name.
1: Can we call
2: up. him up for mine?
1: You go ahead.
2: All right, John Boy is my scumbag of basically of all time because, you know, he he knocked on us, made life miserable for me, for for all Astros fans for like the last, what, three years now and counting. But if we're going back to my actual scumbag of the week, I do have one. In fact, it's like a group of ones. It's the NFL owners and here's why. I get on my Twitter feed so much talk about the Lamar Jackson saga. Like, where's he going to go? What's he going to get traded for? How much is he going to get? And he, Lamar Jackson's asking for the same deal that Deshaun Watson did because Cleveland Browns are idiots and Deshaun Watson is scum. But, arguably, you could say he is worth that guaranteed kind of money. But NFL owners are not willing to even discuss the idea with him. Not the Ravens owners, not anyone else when he was seeking to trade with. Nobody. It's collusion, it's anti-labor, and that just hacks me off in the worst way. And for me, that makes them just absolute scumbags of the first and foremost. But they're NFL owners. That goes with the territory, doesn't it?
0: I think that's a good call, Patrick. Uh, and It, it, it flubmuxes me. It, 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 there's got to be a price point where Lamar Jackson makes sense for somebody. And to me, you can't tell me that out of 31 other teams, not one of them wants to even just, you know, make an offer to this guy. It's just, is crazy to me. I think
1: it's the, also, too, the way they have, uh, I guess, that restrictive cap where you can go negotiate with other teams. You know, in in the NBA, it's a first-round pick. You know, in in baseball, when you sign someone to a qualifying offer and then they go somewhere else or whatever it is, it's a first-round pick. Now, it's two first-round picks in the NFL, and I think that just makes it that much harder for Lamar, even at a good contract. If, if I could work out a nice contract that works for everybody, I've got to do that and give up my first-round pick for the next two years. And that's where I, I think the, uh, the owners are the problem, right? Because they're the ones who put this into the CBA, and, and but the players at the same time agreed on it. You, you've got to get that taken out. If you want to have any kind of chance to go out on the open marketplace as a restricted free agent and negotiate for yourself, it's it's damn near impossible when whoever wants to get you has that, that two-pick ransom held over their head.
2: Exactly. I mean, the, the players have nowhere else to go. And once they decide to actually start making those spring leagues be taken seriously, which nobody's ever going to do,
1: I mean, could you imagine if Lamar said, I'm just going to go play for the XFL? That would be...
2: Oh, uh, Houston Gamblers, Houston Gamblers, Lamar Jackson, sign me up.
0: Well, and what's crazy to me is that, you know, I understand it. I, I you know, I'm sure if you were to poll 31 NFL owners, that they would consider the you know, Cleveland Browns ownership to be their scum of the week because of the contract that they gave Deshaun Watson, because that just completely changed the whole game. Because, you know, if I'm Lamar Jackson, I'm going to sit there and look at the facts and say, hey, I have an MVP. Deshaun Watson never won an MVP. You know, so, you know, what are we doing? You know, Deshaun Watson, you know, for all of his, you know, greatness in Houston, he won one playoff game. So, you know, what exactly, you know, everybody's bagging on Lamar Jackson for the fact that he hasn't succeeded in the playoffs, but, you know, there was no reason to give Watson that kind of a a guarantee. And now they're going to sit there and go, well, nobody else is going to get it. Now, if Jackson were smart, he would hire an agent. Uh, They would find a middle ground and they would get there. But, you know, the situation is what it is. And I think all the way around, it's just, it worked out really badly for him. I think at the end of the day, that the best
1: option for Lamar at this point, he's going to have to play that one year on the salary cap and then um, hit the free agency market next year. Because I just, two picks is too much at the end of the day. Because I, if we could sign Lamar Jackson, I, I would be all in favor of the Texans doing it. If we didn't have to give up two first round picks. I mean, it just, it is absolutely a killer. Uh, you know, the team that, that needs Lamar Jackson, unless you're, you know, even the Jets, they're trying to bring in wide receivers just around Aaron Rodgers as they go get him. You've got to have other weapons. And the, and the odds are, if you're bringing in a Lamar Jackson, you're going to have to change up your offense a bit, too. You're going to need some different type of linemen. You're going to need a running back uh, who's a little bit you know, more lateral, a little bit more shifty. You're going to need some wide receivers who are able to work off schedule a little bit better. There's just a whole change of your personnel that has to happen when you bring in a guy like Lamar. It's, it's not the same as working. Uh, with a pocket quarterback who's everything's based on timing and so again losing those two first round picks is a chance to go get some guys who can work in this new system it can be tools for lamar and and it's just not worth it I he's he's worth the money as a player for sure whatever contract he he gets I, i'll say he's worth that but he's not worth that plus two first round picks it's just too hindering for your franchise But that looks like it's going to be it for us here this week. Um, been an absolute pleasure. We appreciate Patrick for joining us. Real quick, Patrick, um, where can everybody find you? Uh, where can they read what you're what you're working on right now on the on the Battle Red blog?
2: Uh, just go to battleredblog.com. That's where you can find whatever I do write these days. Most of the stuff I've been writing, I kind of keep to myself because it's a side project. Don't nobody know about. Hush, hush. But. Um, if you look for me on Twitter, please, for the love of God, don't. But the the uh, it's at. Jeez, <clears throat> I can't talk. At uprooted, Texan ninety
1: nine. All right, Scott. What about you? I know you're on Battle Red blog
0: as well. How can uh, how can everybody find you? Uh, you can find me on the Twitter machine at sbarzilla. Uh, also, write uh, you know occasional for my blog uh, thehalloffameindex uh, and I guess I uh, hope after yeah this evening that I still have a job with Battle Red Block. You know, since uh, oh, is my I'll boss. let you
2: live this time.
0: <laughs> and as always, you can find me on Twitter at
1: tim underscore costello ten. Uh, be sure to like and follow our Facebook page, the SnapHook. Be sure to like and subscribe uh, to the podcast, whether it be on Apple or Spotify or Amazon, wherever you listen to us. Be sure to subscribe. Give us that five star rating. Uh, We really appreciate it. It helps go a long way getting us uh, a little bit more visible in the old algorithm. But again, we appreciate everybody who joined us today, made us a part of their week. Uh, We hope we were able to give you a little bit more insight into uh, some of those offseason pickups by the Texans, as well as what they may be thinking here in the upcoming draft. Again, we appreciate Patrick for coming in from Battle Red Blog for joining us uh, and giving us a little bit more of that insight information. But we will see everybody next week. Thank you for tuning in to Snap Hook and making Scott and I a part of your week. We wanted to recognize that our intro song is called Energetic Indie Rock by Alex Grohl, And this outro music is Good Vibe by Twisterium. We appreciate everyone who tunes in each and every week and is part of the Snap Hook movement look forward to seeing you next week on the Snapbook.